listening uh, membership across the world, and they showed us the statistics. The, the computer printed up the map, and we saw people, we saw the record of people listening from Dubai, from North America, from Italy, particularly in Europe, lots of people in Africa, Nigeria especially, uh, and we just want to thank God. And so those of you that are worshiping with us through LifeGate Outreach TV, iTunes, and on our audio channels in Brosprout, I want to say you are also welcome, and the good Lord will continue to reach you where you are in Jesus' name. Thank you for the testimonies you send in from time to time. We are truly encouraged by them, and we want to encourage you to keep doing that because God is also doing awesome things here with us. And may his name continually be praised in our lives. In the name of Jesus. We started a series about four weeks now. This is the fourth session of it. We started the series uh, early in the month of May. And we were looking at the names of God through the theme, Enjoying Holiness by Divine Help. Enjoying Holiness by Divine Help. And um, the first week of that, we were, and then we said we're looking at how God, who is... Uh, Holy God helps us through the expressions of his names. And uh, we started the very first series, uh, in, the very, in this series we started the very first topic on looking at God who is our Abba Father. And then we looked at God who is Ancient of Days. And last week we looked at God who is El, uh, El um, what was it? We looked at El Olam, sorry, El Olam. Because I'm looking at the banner, it's just talked to my tongue. El Olam. But today we are looking, as you can see from the banner, El Roy. El Roy. This is another name of God. And I did say to you that when you know a person by name, you have a more intimate and personal relationship with them. More so when the name means something specific. You see, when the name means something specific, you can relate with that person. God has expressed himself to us through many names. Because we cannot comprehend God in his totality without these various expressions. So God looks at us and he expresses himself to us through many names. So when he said he's Abba Father, he's telling us that he is our Father that cares. Our Father and our Father indeed. When he said to us that he is our Ancient of Days, that means he is our righteous judge. The God that was and is and is to come that has always judged and interfered in the affairs of men, not allowing men to be consumed by evil. When we looked at him last week as El Olam, we said it means he's the everlasting God whose faithfulness endures from generation to generation. And so when we remember God and relate to him in these different names and these different ways, we allow ourselves the privilege and the opportunity to tap into the expression of those his names. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so today we are looking at Elroy, the God who sees me. Somebody say, Elroy is the God who sees me. Now we have established that God admonishes us to be holy. You saw the children presentation from the Leviticus uh, pronunciations of God to Moses that he is holy, so we should also be holy. Now in the New Testament, Peter recounted those same words uh, Jesus said it in Matthew 5, 48. He said, be ye perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. But Peter repeated the words which we have been reading for the past three weeks in 1 Peter chapter 1 from verse 13. Let's read it together again. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, 
Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 14. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance. Verse 15. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Now let's read verse 16 together again. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. So holiness is a commandment as I've said it over and over again. We are commanded to be holy. We have no choice than to be holy. He said because it is written. Now, when the Bible refers to, when the word of God reminds us of what is written, it's simply telling us that we should remember what God has said. He called us to be holy, and so we should also be holy. Verse 15 says we should be holy in all our conduct. We should be holy in all our conduct. So one of God's names through which he expresses his holiness is this name called Elroy. And as I've said to you at the beginning of the series, I specifically chose some of the names that we don't as much talk about as, you know, we are very familiar with some other names of God, which does not take anything away from God, but it's good for us to also understand that God expresses himself as um, these other names rather than those ones that we are very used to. So the name of God was first revealed after a very, very unexpected encounter. This very name of God, Elroy, was first revealed after a very unexpected encounter between an angel that was sent from God and a woman who, was, uh, who found herself in a situation where she was banished and she was actually very vulnerable. A pregnant woman. You know, uh, in, the, in the stages of pregnancy, those men, or those men who are here who have uh, had wives who have been pregnant around you, you know how you feel they are so vulnerable. You don't want them to trip down the stairs. You don't want them to do anything that may put their life or the life of the baby in the womb or the babies in the womb, as the case may be, at risk. And so it was a time of this woman's life that she should have the most tender loving care that would, should be available to a woman in her condition. But here she was facing one of the harshest treatments that has ever been meted to any woman in such a condition. Now, this was how God, in this same condition of uh, her vulnerability, expressed himself to, him, to her. And she was able to recognize that this was a manifestation of Elroy. But it is very good for us to set in context the story of this woman, which we all know is by name Hagar, so that we can understand certain things, especially in tapping into this uh, manifestation of God in our work of holiness. If we just backtrack, I'll just paraphrase them. You can take down those notes and please read those chapters again to refresh in you. Every time I read those stories, somehow it will seem as if you've never read them before. I don't know whether it happens to you. Every time you take time to study what you've read before in the Bible, you ask yourself, but I've been reading this for years. Why did I see all this? Hallelujah. Because the word of God is quick. Somebody say it is quick. It is active. So it is living. The word of God is living. And when something is living, it changes. Not that it changes what it is, but it changes in its expression to you. So we must understand that when we come into the presence of God, let us take time to always take notes and to dig deeper. In Genesis chapter 12, we read that Abraham, Abram, his name was at that time, was called. And God said to him, I will bless you and I will make you a great nation. Most of us claim that very, those very verses of 
uh, scriptures. Abraham's blessings are mine, and uh, I'm blessed in the morning, blessed. We used to sing it in songs, blessed in the evening, blessed every time Abraham's blessings are mine. But if you take time to study everything Abraham went through to actually manifest that blessing, we will learn so much more about God than just to see that hand of blessing extended to us. So Abraham was called, and the Bible says his uh, nephew Lot went with him. And uh, everything was going okay, but then a time came in Genesis chapter 13, Lot's servants and Abraham's servants began to quarrel. They began to quarrel over space. They began to quarrel over things. Their animals were mixing, the, the, the people taking care of the sheep and the, the animals were in conflict. And Abraham, in his wisdom, said, look, uh, my dear nephew, there's no need for us to, to fight here. There is no need for us to strive at all. And I don't want you to forget about Hagar, but I want to give a bit of background to it. And so they parted. And uh, on that note, I can quickly drop something in that Mike Mudok said sometime. You, you will know by now that I, I listen to Mike Mudok a lot. I like him. He's a man of wisdom. Nobody's perfect, but he's a man of wisdom, I believe. Now, Mike Mudok said something. He said, anytime there is strife, it is the evidence that somebody or something no longer belongs. Check it very well. When there is strife and it's so, so deep and so deep, you need to address what needs not to belong anymore or who needs not to belong anymore. So Abraham said to uh, his nephew, he said, you know what? We don't need to struggle here. Look at all the land that's around us. Why are we confined in this space and coming this, to this time of quarrel? We don't need it. He said, look at the land. It is given to us by God. You choose anywhere you want to go. And then I would also go the other direction. And then, so they separated. Now, that's very important. Because after that separation, God said, now lift up your eyes. Look as far as you can see to Abraham. He said, I am giving you that land as a possession. To the north, to the south, to the east, and to the west. Which also, by default, included even the land that Lot went to choose at last. We know later on that when Abraham went to uh, deliver Lot, God gave him victory. Hallelujah. When Lot was captured in the, in the land of Sodom uh, in, in, in Genesis chapter 14, Abraham went there and rescued him and the king and the people of that land. Hallelujah. Because God's dominion extended by covenant to Abraham. I'm specifically calling him the name Abraham because I want to underscore something even in the life of Hagar that we are concentrating on today. So Abraham rescues Lot and then he encounters Melchizedek and for the first time we heard about a man who gave a tithe of the spoils of war that he had to this godly figure or this godly king in the person of Melchizedek, which we know is a type of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And so in Genesis chapter 15, after all that, the Bible says that Abraham began to ask questions. Now, it was 10 years down the line, after the first word was given to him, when he was asked to give, leave his land and go to the land of promise, the Bible says, Abraham now said to the Lord, the Lord came to Abraham, and in Genesis 15, 1, the Lord came to Abraham, he said, look, Abraham, fear not, for I am your shield, and I am your exceedingly great reward. And Abraham quickly used that opportunity to ask God a question. And this is where I want you to start to think critically as we go into the story of Hagar in the next chapter. Now, Abraham began to say, now, how is that going to be, seeing that I'm going childless? 
The way I see it, and I'm paraphrasing what he said now, but if you read that from Genesis chapter 15, the first five verses, he said, the way I see it, he said, Eliezer, the one who is born in my house, shall definitely be my heir. Which person was, uh, Eliezer was just a servant that was born in uh, uh, Abraham's house. Because Abraham himself had no offspring. And so this was the situation, because a lot of us, jump to the story of Hagar and not understand the mind and the level of understanding that Abram and Sarai were operating by the time Hagar's matter came up. They were still, they believed God because the Bible says in Genesis chapter 15 verse 6, and Abram believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. So they believed God. It's not that they didn't believe. It's not that they had no faith. But their level of understanding of God and the ways of God were still limited at that time. And so I want us to understand that as we talk about the work of holiness, when God says we should be holy as he is holy, when we become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus by giving our lives to Christ, we must understand that we have to continue to depend on God. The grace that brought us to salvation must continue to be the grace that we rely on to keep us in the work of salvation. Otherwise, our limited thinking will cause us to do things that may make our journey of spirituality a difficult one. Your holiness work will not be a difficult one. In the name of Jesus. And so Abraham was reassured by God that a child would come from his loins and he should not be afraid. So this was the context before Genesis chapter 16, which we read. And those of you that are listening by audio or watching by video, we read Genesis chapter 16, the entire chapter as our scripture reading. And now we're going to start again by looking at some of those verses a little bit closer. Let's read verse 1 together, everybody. Genesis 16, 1. It's on the screen. Let's go. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maid servant whose name was Hagar. Now, I want you to understudy and remember the word Egyptian. Because again, in God's own wisdom and God's own way, it had a purpose in God's plan altogether. Verse 2, let's read verse 2 together. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid, perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Now, this is the key thing I want you to remember here. Just the chapter before we read about Abram's own suspicion and doubt in a way that it was going to be Eliezer. He got over that. The wife, Sarai, I still call them by their old names because it was. it is important for us to understand that they were operating at that point. Even though they had a calling, at that point, they were still operating without the true and final conversion. Because we got into Genesis chapter 17 before their names were changed to Abraham and Sarah, which meant father of many nations and mother. So it is very important we understand that in our journey of conversion, there are growth processes. There are processes of sanctification that we will go through, that we will be transforming our minds continually in appreciating bigger things. 
This was why Paul said, we should not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but we should be what? Transformed by the renewing of our minds. Our minds constantly needs to be washed by the washing of the water by the word for us to comprehend deeper things of God and to know what God has said. Every promise of God in him are yea and amen, but they are subject to his timing. We cannot orchestrate for God what he has planned to happen at certain times. Many people have missed this in their calling of life, in their calling of ministry, in their vocational development, in their careers, because God makes everything beautiful in its time. He said, I am the almighty God, walk before me and be perfect. Hallelujah. So Sarai said to Abram, this is what you will do. Go into my child, go into my maid, and then maybe, maybe I shall obtain children by her. So they knew that the children would come. The only problem was that their growth and development at that time was still limited as far as spiritual matters were concerned. And so this is why we as Christians today must understand the importance of working with God to grow. The Bible says as newborn babes, we must always be desiring the sincere milk of the word so that we can grow thereby. And so this was the basis of why Hagar got pregnant. Let's jump to verse 4. Now those two things represented the foolishness, what I called the foolishness of Sarah, Sarai and Abram. When Sarai gave the suggestion and Abraham heeded the voice, I recognized that as their foolishness, a disregard for God. Their, their own wanting to orchestrate what God has said. And we must also learn, all learn from that. But you see, one thing we will see is that God does not allow us, as his children, God does not allow us to make mistakes that he knows of a certainty are not going to align with his plan for our lives. Because you see, one could have asked, if God knew, God who knows everything, knew that all he needed was to make Isaac happen, why didn't he come in in such a way that he made it impossible for them to do that which they were about to do? Because everything was going to work together for good. I said everything would work together for good. And I will show you from scripture today in Jesus' name. This is not meaning that we should live our lives carelessly or anyhow, but I want you to know that God is so faithful that even the mistakes he allows you to make will end up working together for your good. <laughs> that is God's faithfulness. This is who he is, Elroy, the God who sees what you cannot see. That is what Elroy means. The God who saw before, the God who sees right now, and the God who sees ahead of you. The God of hindsight, insight, and foresight. That is who he is, Elroy. And I pray that he will help every one of us to walk in his fullness today. In the name of Jesus. Let's read verse 4 together. Genesis 16, 4. So he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Let's read that phrase again. Her mistress became despised in her eyes. Somebody say Hagar's foolishness. Abraham was foolish. Sarai was foolish. Hagar herself was foolish. You see, of all times to have ever manifested pride, it was that very time that was out. There was no time that was good for her to be proud, but to be, have been proud to her mistress. 
when she became pregnant, if you want to taunt a woman, taunt her with that matter. If you want to see the bitterness and the anguish or the pain of a woman, taunt her with matters of pregnancy. Look at a servant. A servant coming to her mistress and showing her the tummy just like that. Every time she's going across, when she says, Sarah, can you give me a cup of uh, water to drink? She says, I'm, I'm kind of tired now. You know how these pregnancy pains are? Anyway, you may not know because you are yet to ever be pregnant. And Sarah would go, oh no, this is getting too much. And at times, Sarah would just be there thinking, Lord, when is it going to be about my, my, my own time and all that? And this pregnant woman would start sit there like that with a protruded tummy. This is just my imagination. It's not in the Bible. Because if you are looking for it, you won't find it there. But just imagine along with me. Because the Bible says she became despised in her eyes. Friends, God makes everything beautiful in its time. You don't let the devil harass you at all. When it is time, it will happen. Praise the Lord. These people did not understand. As I declared that day by faith, as a much younger person, but I know that God honors his word. I said to her, don't worry. When I get home, it will happen. And by the special grace of God, the rest is history today. We are 20 years down the line to the glory of God, but I can never forget that manifestation of God. And so if you are here today and you are waiting on God for anything, according to the time of life, don't compromise your holiness for it. I beg you. Stay true to God. He is faithful. I say he is faithful. The God who sees will make all things beautiful for you in its time. In the name of Jesus. So Hagar was foolish because she despised. And this foolishness is what led to her banishing. You see, I want us to know this very well. Many of us said, oh, Sarai treated her in a very harsh way and all that. If Hagar had not been foolish, she would not have been banished. It's as simple as that. But look at what happened. Verse 6. After Sarah complained to Abram. Let's read verse 6 together now. Let's read quickly because of time. So Abram said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Verse 7, this is very important now. Let's read verse 7 together loud. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. Verse 8, And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. Verse 9. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. You see, that is what she should have done the first time. That if you had submitted the first time, you would not be in this situation. But that was just God teaching uh, uh, Sarai, uh, Hagar, that lesson. Now, look at verse 11. Verse 11. Go to verse 11. Let's read now. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name what? Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. Go straight to verse 13. Jump 12 and go to 13. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. Somebody say Elroy. For she said, what? Have I also here seen him who sees me? 
I am alone in this wilderness. I didn't know anyone here could know my plight. I'm just here waiting to die. I'm just here waiting for fate, whatever it was going to throw at me. But the Bible says, she now said, have I also here seen him who sees me? Definitely, this must be the God who sees. And so obviously, she went back to submit herself because we, the Bible says in verse uh, 15, go to verse 15. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore, what? Ishmael. So that means she went back home and Abram named his son Ishmael. Now, this is very important. Three acts of foolishness led to a pronouncement of God's expression. This is why I said everything was working together for good. But the story didn't end there. When uh, Hagar went back home, the son began to grow. Ishmael began to grow. Ishmael grew up to age 13. And by Genesis chapter 18, after God has now changed the name of Abram to Abraham and Sarai to Sarah in chapter 17, Ishmael was one of those that was uh, circumcised alongside Abraham and all the male folk in his house. After the final conversion of Abraham to the person that God wanted him to be as the father of many nations. And so in Genesis chapter 20, we read that his age was around about 13 years, going up to about 15. He was 15 years old. Ishmael was 15 years old by our calculations when uh, Isaac was eventually born. So Genesis 21 tells us that Isaac was born. But again, we see that Ishmael now was the one that was, in a way, taunting the uh, Sarah. And again, they were banished. In Genesis chapter 21, we read that again, Abraham told, uh, 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 Sarah told Abraham that he should drive out Ishmael and, uh, and her mom again. And his mom again. Now, that time, Isaac was already born. And what was Sarah's complaint now? Sarah's, Sarah was now worried that Ishmael was going to also be a joint heir with Isaac. So it was a very, very complicated story. And I just want us to understand, everything was working together for good. Because Ishmael, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 21, verse 21, Ishmael lived in Paran and God, uh, his mother, uh, Hagar went to get him a wife from Egypt. And I want you to remember Egypt. The wife of Ishmael was gotten from Egypt where his mother had come from. Even though his father Abraham was Hebrew, but because there was going to be the manifestation of the captivity that would take place for 400 years in that same land of Egypt... God orchestrated everything to fit together so that his word was going to come to pass. So the God who sees always makes everything beautiful in its time. We must learn to trust him everywhere, every way. Several decades after this, Ishmael, the same Ishmael and his own descendants became the agent of ensuring that the Hebrew nation found their way back into Egypt so that they can start 
the, uh, the 400 years of captivity. Now, open to Genesis chapter 37, verse 25. After Abraham got Isaac, Isaac obviously was the father of Esau and Jacob. Jacob was a child of promise, as it were, in the lineage. And then Jacob now had 12 sons, among whom was Joseph. And we know the story of Joseph so much. We talk about him a lot in this place. Joseph was loved by his father, but he had a dream. He saw that his brethren would bow down to him in addition to his parents. So the brothers plotted to kill Joseph. And one day they said, let us kill him and see what will become of his dream. But thank God for Reuben, one of his brothers that advised that they should not, that they should throw him in a pit. And let's read from verse 25. The Bible says, And they sat down to eat a meal. Then they lifted their eyes and looked. These are Joseph's brothers after he was put in the pit. And there was a company of who? Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing spices, balm, and myrrh on their way to do what? To carry, uh, sorry, to carry them down to Egypt. Verse 26 together. So Judah said to his brothers, what profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Verse 27. Let's read together. Come and let us sell him to who? The Ishmaelites. Don't forget Ishmael and his descendants were the Ishmaelites. Let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him for he is what? Our brother and our flesh. And his brothers did what? They listened. Then verse 28. Let's read verse 28 and then you will see how Egypt features again. Then Midianite traders passed by so the brothers pulled Joseph up. That is out of the pit. Lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver and they took Joseph to where? Egypt. Somebody say, God who sees. Say, the God who sees. You see, Elroy knew very well that the pronouncement of his, uh, of, of, of his over the lives of the people that are descendants of Abraham to be in captivity for 400 years will only be able to come to pass only as a result of the captivity that they will have to encounter in Egypt. And as far as they were living in Canaan, it was never going to come to pass. So all the errors of, Abra of Sarai, forcing Abram to go into Hagar, having Ishmael born, and Ishmael ultimately being sent away, was all allowed by God to work together to create this nation that was going to help the advancement of his word for the fulfillment of the ultimate promise to make them a great nation. Because they were going to be delivered after 400 years. Look at what happened when the time came for Elroy to act. The God who sees. Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, after the time came, the, the, the captivity was to be over. Look at what God said to Moses. Let's read together. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, 
For I know their sorrow. Somebody say, I have surely seen. Say, God said he has surely seen. Tell your neighbor for me, God says he has surely seen. Everything you are going through. He has heard your cry. Because of every taskmaster. He knows your sorrow. Now, let's read verse 8 together to see what he has come to do. After seeing all that, the God who sees... Look at what he said in verse 8. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of who? The Egyptians. And to bring them up from that land to a good and large land. To a land flowing with milk and honey. To the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hevites, and the Jebusites. The God who sees knows that ultimately this was going to be their portion. But he had to arrange through the Ishmaelites that the nations be brought back to Egypt for that to happen. Why have I taken time to go through all this today? I want you to understand something about your walk of holiness with God. There are things that you do not see and you cannot see. Only the God who sees will help you to walk in his plan as far as those things are concerned. You will go through encounters in life many times that you will be asking questions. And you will be thinking, Lord, have you left me? Have you abandoned me? Why am I going through this pain? Why am I going through this difficulty? But the God who sees the future, the God who knows the expansion he has for you in the future, will allow you to go through it because your going through it was going to prepare you for what lied ahead. Hallelujah. Let us celebrate Elroy, the God who sees. Let's give the Lord a big hand. The God who sees. The God who sees. Hallelujah. Everything you are going through today is preparing you for the greater things that lie ahead. And my God will continue to cause you to stand holy, stand firm, and stand victorious in the name of Jesus. Elroy helps us in two ways that I want to just round this up on today before we pray. Two ways he helps us to be holy. Number one, he protects us from making wrong decisions because of our inability to see beyond the physical many times. I have told you about decisions. God will never allow you to make a decision that will destroy you. You have to trust him. You have to trust him. He will never allow you to make a decision that will destroy you. Look at Samuel. A great prophet of God was about to make a decision that was going to taint his ministry. It was going to taint his life. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, and it was also going to taint a whole nation, the nation of God. 1 Samuel chapter 16, God sent him to the house of uh, uh, um, Jesse to go, thank you, Jesse to go and anoint a king. And 1 Samuel chapter 16, the Bible says they were parading all the kings in front of him. And he thought that some of them should be the king. But the Bible says in verse 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. Let's read together. For the Lord does not see as a man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God sees the things that you cannot see about the people around you. And only your walk with God can help you to maintain the dignity and the things that God has for you so that you will not fall into the traps that is set by the enemy 
through people. Friends, I want you to understand, Samuel was a very, very heavily anointed man. But he was about to make a mistake in selecting the wrong king for Israel. After God said to him, he has rejected Saul, Samuel went to the house of Jesse, good instruction followed as God had ordained. But when he reached there, he was going in the flesh to try to look at stature and size and what looked like the king in his own physical sight. And God said to him, no, none of these ones you have seen so far. And we know the rest of the story. He asked if there was any other son available and they said there is one. One that they did not want to reckon with, but the one whose God, whose hand God was upon. And so they called David and David was anointed. We all know that by First Samuel chapter 17, it was evident why God did not pick those other brothers. Those other brothers could not stand up to defend the nation against the onslaught of uh, Goliath the Philistine. But David was the only one who could come forth for them. I pray that God will continue to protect you and I from making wrong decisions in life. In the name of Jesus. When we, obey, when we disobey God, we can make wrong decisions. But when we live in obedience, whatever he's telling us to do, let us just do. And we shall not be consumed by the enemy. In the name of Jesus. Secondly, the Elroy helps us to remain sanctified, strengthened, and ultimately accountable. The God who sees ahead helps you to remain sanctified, separated unto him, to be strengthened in your walk of faith, and also to remain accountable unto him. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 tells us we should trust in the Lord with all our hearts, and we should not lean on our own understanding. He said, in all your ways, do what? Acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Look at what God said to Jeremiah in chapter 17. Jeremiah 17 verse 9. Let's read together. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Are you tired? Let's read verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. Even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. The Lord who sees will always establish you in your work of faith in the name of Jesus. We must always trust Elroy in this work of holiness because he sees what we cannot see and he will always establish in us what he proposes to establish. Finally, God said something concerning a king called Asa in Second Chronicles chapter 16. Asa was depending on the arm of flesh and he was ignoring God. And the prophet came to him. The prophet called Hanani came to him. Let's read verse 7. And at that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. Let's read verse 8. Were the Ethiopians and the Lubim not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet, because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. What should we learn about this? Anytime we switch into self-made mode, anytime we switch into self-sufficient mode, anytime we feel that we are self-sufficient and we disregard God, we may not say it with our lips. We may not say it with our mouths. But the truth is, when we don't pray, 
when we don't take fellowship seriously, when we don't read our Bibles, what we are saying is that we are relying on the Syrian strength. We are relying on our own strength. We are relying on people. We are relying on our bank accounts. We are relying on our systems. But we must understand that we must continue to rely on the Lord. Hanani said to Asa, he said, the Ethiopians and the Lubim, they were a bigger army. But the Lord, because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. Your effectiveness in the work of holiness is your consistency in pressing for Elroy, the God who sees, to continue to be your help. Your persistence in saying, Lord, I cannot live a day without you. I cannot do without your grace. Hallelujah. Look at it in verse 9 as I read the very final verse. Let's read together verse 9. He said, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is what? Loyal to him. In this you have done foolishly. Talking to Asa, therefore from now on you shall have wars. The struggles of your work on, and my work of holiness is when we disregard God. The eyes of the Lord are running to and fro and all he's trying to do is to show himself strong. On the behalf of as many who are what? Loyal to him. As many who refuse to say, I will not depend on myself. I will not depend on my money. Many of us depend on things by default. We just suddenly switch to that mode. You have a steady job because they call it a permanent contract. By the way, who told you that anything is a permanent contract? Have you ever seen anybody who was sacked and he said, and I had a permanent contract? Have you ever heard it before? I've had loads of those. <laughs> he said, and it was a permanent contract. There's nothing like a permanent contract. They only said it at the beginning so that you can put your mind at rest and work very hard. The day the job does not exist again, they will say, we would have kept you, but you see, the job no longer exists. <laughs> what will you do now? You say, create another one for me. So don't, don't rely. Thank God for the jobs we do, the businesses we do, the contacts we have. Let's always appreciate God for those things. But never ever take your gaze away from God. Because what will keep you holy and sanctified and victorious in this life is your persistency in holding on to Elroy, the God who sees. And I pray he will continue to help you. I say he will continue to help you in the name of Jesus. Rise to your feet.